Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are so grateful for the continual work that you are doing in each one of our lives. We're thankful that you have caused us to be born again. That there were radical changes that took place in our lives at that time that we invited you into our lives. We pray now as we focus in on what it means to live for you victoriously day by day that your Holy Spirit would encourage us. I also pray for those who are here today that need to experience your grace. I pray that your grace would flow upon us today in incredible ways. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. At the very moment that you were born again, and of course the Bible says that unless you are born from above, that there is no way that you will ever see the kingdom of heaven. So there has to be this radical transformation that takes place in the life of a person. Otherwise, they're never going to enter into heaven. And the Bible tells us that at the moment that you are born again, that your spirit is quickened to life. It was dormant, some people say. Other theologians tell us that the spirit was actually dead. And at the moment that you said, Lord, I need you in my life, that God caused your spirit to come to life. And you realize that if it were not for a work of God, you would never even want to be saved. The Bible says no one comes to Jesus unless the Father, <coughs> excuse me, unless the Father, first of all, draws him. And upon that point, there are some changes that take place inside of you. In fact, there are radical changes that take place inside of you. When you were in the world, the last thing you cared about was trying to please God. Isn't that true? When you were in the world, you were just into sinning, and that was about it. Maybe you felt guilty, but you certainly weren't worried about pleasing God. But something happens when you're born again. And according to 1 John, suddenly you desire to keep the commandments of God. Because the Bible says, if you say that you love God, and you don't want to keep His commandments that you're a liar. So there's something that I know about every Christian that's in here. I know that you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I know that there is a desire that we have to be able to live in that purity and holiness before the Lord. The Bible says that all old things pass away and everything becomes new. The Bible tells us that God has a race for each one of us to run. That's how our lives change. And they change in radical ways. However, having said all of that, it is also true when we are born again, there are things that don't change. We still live in our flesh. And we still have what Romans tells us is our sin nature. Now, I would wish that that wasn't the case. Don't you? Don't you wish at the moment that you got born again, you got that halo right away? <laughs> there you were. You never sinned anymore. Now, some of you claim that that's the case, but give us a break. We know. 
And I'll tell you how we know, <coughs> excuse me, because the Bible says, if anyone says, first John again, if anyone says they have no sin, they are a liar. So if anybody ever tells you I've achieved the place where I don't sin anymore, then you know that they're sinning at the very moment that they say that because they sin. So what happens at the moment that I'm born again, there's all of these great transformations. There's all of these great differences that takes place within me, but there's also a struggle that starts in me, a struggle that was never there before. When I was struggled to sin before, there was no struggle. I just sinned. But now, as a Christian, I find that I am tempted and that there is a struggle inside of me. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, and by the way, Romans was one of the later books that Paul wrote. Paul said this, that the spirit battles against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so that the things that you want to do, you don't do. And the things that you don't want to do, those are the very things that you end up doing. You ever felt like that? You ever come to church and, <coughs> excuse me, you hear a message and you think, man, I am done doing that. And then you walk out of here only to find that, you know, you decide you're going to stop hating people in your heart. You drive two blocks down the road and you hate somebody because of the way they drive in your heart. Streets of, you know, Albuquerque, very much like the streets of Tucson. It's very easy to murder people in your heart on the streets of Tucson. Then the very things that you decide and determine you're going to do, you find out that you don't end up doing. And there's this battle, this struggle that takes place. Galatians chapter 5, Paul said something very similar. He said the flesh struggles against the spirit and the spirit struggles against the flesh. So there's this battle going on inside of me, which by the way, I have a little bit of bad news for you today. This struggle will take place until you go to be with the Lord or until the Lord comes to take us to be with him. We are never going to get to the place. I'm not giving you the five keys to victory over the struggle that you will never struggle again. So to some degree, we have to walk in the grace of God because sometimes there's sin in our lives that we don't even know is there. The Bible says there are hidden faults that have dominion over us. David prayed, Lord, reveal to me my hidden faults that have dominion over me. Sometimes there are things that we don't even know. Pride is so deceptive. Have you ever thought, you know what? I'm not walking in pride only to have an event take place and it reveal that there's been pride in your heart all along. You would have said before, I don't have any pride in my heart. And all of a sudden that pride is revealed. Well, I would like to talk to you a little bit today about that battle, that struggle within and how we can win. Now, again, we're going to have to walk within the grace of God because we will never defeat the flesh completely until the day that it is redeemed. According to the book of Romans, it says that all of creation waits for the redemption of our bodies. So we're going to need to learn to walk in the grace of God. However, I believe that we can win the war. We may lose a battle now and then, right? But I believe that we can win the war and be living lives that are lived in such a way that when people see us, they glorify our Father who is in heaven. 
That's the encouragement Jesus gave us. That when we do our good works, do them in such a way that when men see your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now let's begin by reading Exodus chapter 17. I want us to start in verse 8. It seems like kind of an odd passage for me to start with, but as we get into the passage, you'll see how it fits. We'll start in verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of a hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of a hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand uh, down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now it's kind of an odd account. You have this battle with the Amalekites and Josh, uh, Moses who stands on a mountain with his hands raised. And when his hands drop, the battle goes towards Amalek. When he lifts his hands back up again, the battle goes back towards Israel. What is the Lord speaking to us on these things? <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, I believe that we have to understand who the Amalekites are. The Amalekites are the descendants of Esau. And you remember that Jacob was a spiritual man. Now, if you've ever studied the life of Jacob, you know that he was all messed up as well. But that he had a heart for spiritual things. He was a deceiver. He was a surplanter, as it were, his name means. But he wanted spiritual things and he was drawn towards spiritual things. Esau, on the other hand, was not a man concerned about spiritual things. In fact, it's revealed in an account that took place where Esau, the Bible tells us, was a man of the field. And if I were going to cast in a movie someone to play Esau, I would put Tom Selleck in that place. That's the person that I have in my mind. If I were going to cast Jacob, I would use Leonardo DiCaprio. That's who I would have as Jacob. Uh, Jacob was more of a mama's boy. Uh, he, remember, kissed was Rachel and then cried after he kissed her. I don't know if she had bad breath. I don't know exactly what the problem was. But he kisses her and he cries. Now, Jacob is at home cooking some red soup. Red stew, the Bible says. Literally, it was bean soup. Esau comes in. He's hunted all day long. He hasn't killed anything. And he's hungry. And he walks in the door and he smells the bean soup. And he says to Jacob, give me some of your bean soup. Jacob, being the spiritual man that he was, said, no, I'm not going to give you any of my bean soup. And Esau said, but if I don't get any of your bean soup, I'm going to die. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Do you think that Esau was going to die if he didn't get any of that bean soup? There's no doubt in my mind that he wanted some of that bean soup, but I don't think he was going to die if he didn't get it. But nevertheless, 
when things of the flesh begin to present themselves to us, oftentimes we think we have to have it or we're going to die. The, the drives of the flesh, the temptation for sin, can be very strong, can't they? That's exactly what Esau said. And so Jacob said, well, I'll give you some if you sell me your birthright. Now, the birthright was that which was passed from the father to the firstborn son. And it was not just physical, it was spiritual. It meant that they would now run the family spiritually. Do you remember the words of Esau when Jacob said, sell me your birthright? He said, what good is my birthright if I die? And he sold his birthright for a bowl of bean soup. And the Bible says, thus Esau despised his birthright. You know, I have discovered over the years that Christians have sold their spiritual lives for a lot less than bean soup. I've discovered that Christians have felt overwhelmed in certain areas where they give up that which God has desired for them for something that is just going to perish, something that in reality doesn't mean very much. Now, Esau moved away from Jacob. They moved actually to the other side of the Jordan River to a place called Edom, which is red, which Esau's name means red. And Edom had a descendant by the name of Amalek. That's what we read about here in this account. The Amalekites were, how do we put it? They were dirty fighters. When Israel had been delivered by the mighty hand of God from Egypt, the Amalekites came around to the back of the column. They were making their way through the wilderness towards the promised land. They would come up behind the column. And who would be straggling behind? Think about it. The weak, the feeble, the old, the young, those that couldn't keep up with everybody else. And so Amalek would come in and pick off the weakest from behind them. And it took them a little while to realize what the Amalekites were doing. Finally, when they realized it, they turned around at a place called, as we read, Rephidim, and they faced the enemy there. And that's where Moses goes on top of this hill and Joshua goes down into the battlefield to fight him. Now, that would not be uncommon, right? The general would oftentimes go up on top of a hill where he could see the battle, the layout of the battle, and the strategy of the battle, while the battle general, in this case Joshua, would go down into the battle and fight. However, that's not why Moses stood on top of that mountain. The Bible says that he lifted his hands to God. And he had the rod of God in his hands. And, and when his hands were up, the battle was going towards Israel. But when his hands began to drop, the, the battle went towards the Amalekites. Now, I believe that the Lord is giving us something very specific in this account. I believe that God is telling us that the battle against the Amalekites, the battle against our flesh is twofold. That if we are ever going to defeat the flesh, you cannot just battle it on the battlefield. You can't just kind of dig your feet in and say, I'm going to beat this thing now. I'm never going to do it again. If your battle is a behavioral issue or if your battle is alcohol or if your battle is some struggle, some lust that you're dealing with. By the way, there are other lusts than just sexual lust, right? But it's some lust that you're dealing with. It's some battle that you have. And if you just say, I'm going to beat this thing, 
most likely you won't beat it unless, and listen carefully, your hands are lifted to God. When your hands are lifted to God, you now have what it takes for the battle to go towards the spirit rather than to go towards the flesh. But if you are trying to battle it all down on the battlefield, I'm going to defeat this thing and I'm going to beat this thing, then the battle is going to go towards the flesh. I believe we raise our hands to God when we feed the spiritual things of our lives. What does it tell us in the book of Galatians? That if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you reap life. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption and death. We have to sow to the Spirit. Now at this point I want to become very careful because before I ever began to attend Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque, I attended several different churches. One of them was part of the holiness movement. A couple of them were Pentecostal churches. And I don't have anything against those churches. I, I was drawn to Christ there. I was fed on the word of God there. I learned a lot of the stuff that I learned from the Bible by listening to Pastor Chuck Smith through the Bible, which eventually became my connection with Calvary Chapel. But some of the things that I would be taught there especially in the holiness movement church that I attended, was that if I prayed for an hour a day, and I read, usually it was five chapters of the Bible a day. Those were like their magic numbers. I don't know where they got those magic numbers from. I never read in the Bible that you had to read for five chapters or pray for an hour. I guess it's in the book of First Opinions chapter 4, some... <laughs> Somewhere around there. <clears throat> but I was told that if I would do that, then if I prayed for an hour, read five chapters a day, sought God, witnessed, shared with people around me, that suddenly, supernaturally, the power of God would be in my life. Now, as a young man, and I'm talking to you guys now, I was a teenager at the time. As a young man, I wanted the power of God in my life. I wanted to see God move. I wanted to see God change people's lives. And so I would try to pray for an hour. I had a timer. It was one of those oven timers. And it would only go to 20 minutes. You know the one that I'm talking about? So in order to pray three times, you had to set it three times. And then it would go click, 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 click while I was praying. So I'd cover it up with a pillow. So I'd set the timer, cover it up with a pillow, and then I would pray. I'd pray for the world, I'd pray for the church, I'd pray for my friends, I'd pray for my family. I would pray for everything I could possibly think about praying for. Then I would move the pillow away and five minutes had passed. <laughs> so now I had another, you know, 55 minutes to pray for the power of God to come upon me so that I could transform the lives of people around me. So I want to be very careful to you today that I'm not saying that when Moses lifted his hands, that's like us praying for an hour or reading five chapters of the Bible. I'm simply saying this. Moses raising his hands represents a right relationship with God. And if your hands are not raised to God, how will you ever expect to continually, consistently win over the flesh if you don't have a right relationship with him? It's about walking with him. It's about being with him. I learned a long time ago that if I prayed until I was done, that's when I really, then when prayer really did its job. And you know what I discovered? 
I discovered when I decided to pray until I was done, rather than praying for like an hour or two hours or whatever it was I felt I had to pray for, I found that I prayed it a lot more effectively, and I found that I prayed for longer sometimes, as I just went to the Lord and said, I'm praying until I'm finished. I don't have any time set that I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray till I'm done. What a concept, huh? <laughs> Lord, I'm just going to pray until I'm finished praying, and then that's going to be it. But I really believe that there will never be any consistent battle in the any consistent winning over the flesh in the battle of a Christian if you don't have a right relationship with God. If somehow things have been separated between you and the Lord, if somehow you're no longer sowing to the Spirit. And again, that's what the Bible says, that if we sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit we reap life. And so if you're not praying, if you're not going to church, if you're not reading, if you don't have friends around you that love the Lord, then how do you ever expect to be able to defeat the things of the flesh? When on the other hand, what you're doing is feeding the flesh. And it's not a difficult thing to feed the flesh. Uh, there's nobody here that needs to be encouraged in feeding the flesh. That happens automatically. That happens when you're driving down the road. That happens when you see a billboard. It happens when you turn on the news or watch television. It happens on a lot of different levels. Your flesh is fed. <clears throat> so in order to feed the spirit, you've got to go out of your way to say, I want to make sure that things are right between me and God. And perhaps there's some of you today and things need to be right between you and the Lord. You need to make things right with him because things are at a distance. Another passage that I really believe helps us with this is John chapter 15. And again, I know you guys are familiar with this verse. The Bible says that if you abide in him and his words abide in you, that you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Have you ever noticed that that verse tells us that our desires will change? Because before you came to Christ, I guarantee you the desires you prayed for weren't going to come to pass. But if you abide in Him and His Word abides in you, God transforms you. And now all of a sudden, the things you pray for, God wants to do. When you first came to Christ, maybe you began to pray for things. And before you even got out what you wanted to pray for, God said, no. You ever felt that way? Lord, I'd just like to come before you and ask you, no. But Lord, I haven't even, I know what you're going to pray. No, <clears throat> you can't have that. But once you abide in him and his words abide in you, then you begin to pray for things that God wants to answer. And I believe before we ever get those prayers out, God is answering them. God is saying yes. Have you ever pruned a tree? When you prune it, it it's amazing to me how fast the branch you cut off has begun to wilt. Those of you that have done it, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't take long. It takes about 20 minutes and the leaves will already be wilting. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if the branch abides in the vine, it will bear much fruit. But if the branch is cut off from the vine and dries up, it's good for nothing but to be cast into the fire. When that verse is quoted, everybody wants to argue about whether or not you can lose your salvation, right? If you want to argue about that verse, hey, more power to you. Go argue. Not with me. Go argue with somebody else about that. But that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is, is that if you abide in the vine, there's fruit that remains and you're going to be healthy. But if you don't abide in the vine, what are you good for? Spiritually, what are you good for? But to be gathered together and to be thrown into the fire. That's it. 
So the encouragement is for you and I to keep our hands raised to God and to, to stay on the vine. Now, on the other end, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but let me just touch on a couple of principles with it. On the other side, remember, this was a two pronged battle. There was Moses that stood on top of the mountain with his hands raised. As his hands dropped, he had Aaron and her, his friends, hold his arms up. I'll encourage you. Do you have friends that when your hands begin to drop spiritually, they will hold your arms up? They will lift you up? I am so thankful that God has friends like that in my life today. When I lived here in Albuquerque, I had friends here who would hold my arms up and help me in my relationship with the Lord. But Joshua also had to battle down on the, the battlefield. He couldn't just count on Moses with his hands raised. In other words, it's not just about feeding your spirit. <coughs> Excuse me, you have, to, you have to starve your flesh. You have to crucify the flesh and, what does the Bible say? The lust thereof. You have to starve your flesh. If you're feeding your flesh and feeding your spirit, the battle's going to go on. But if you starve your flesh and you feed your spirit, some of us have fed our flesh. And as I said earlier, it's so easy to feed our flesh. That happens automatically. So that when our flesh says, I want this, and our spirit says, oh no, serve God. And our flesh says, shut up. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> the battle's done. You haven't won it at all. But as you begin to starve your flesh, as you begin to say, you know what, that feeds my flesh. And I find that I become more prideful when I do those things or talk to these individuals or hang out with that person. I find that I struggle with lustful thoughts or I struggle with, with, with selfishness. And we begin to identify those things in our lives that feed our flesh and once we begin to cut them off, the flesh becomes weaker, the spirit becomes stronger, and we are then able to win in the battle of the struggle that is inside of us. Now, in closing, I want to reiterate that in the very beginning, I didn't say that I was going to give you the keys to win this battle and never struggle with it again. I wish that I could do that. I wish that I could give you guys five steps to total victory over the flesh. And once it was all done, your flesh would just be a quivering mass of nothingness on the ground that you would never struggle with again. But this will be something that we face throughout our entire Christian walks. And that's why it's important for you and I to continue to feed the Spirit, to continue to lift our hands before our God, not because... That's going to somehow how magically add spiritual energy or power in our lives. But that's the way we stay connected to the source of our victory, who is Jesus Christ. I want to once again go to the last part of this verse that we read, this passage we read, which simply says, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. May it be that as we walk through this world, letting our light shine in such a way that people's lives are transformed, being the salt of this earth that God has called us to be, that it could be said of every one of us that we defeated the flesh by the sword of the Spirit, by the Word of God. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we are so thankful that we can take time to consider the struggle that we have inside of us. And we realize that even a man like Paul 
had this struggle. And that there's not one of us here that doesn't struggle in that area. (coughs) That all of us do. Lord, we pray that we would be wise in abiding in you. And that we're never really going to have victory over these things unless we learn to feed the Spirit. Unless we learn to sow to the Spirit that from the Spirit we can reap life. We pray that you would help us to be able to overcome these things, not for ourselves, but for the glory that is due your name, that men would see our good works and glorify you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.